Now, here's a question I've had for a while. Why don't companies who have direct incentive to get the best possible information on themselves, on the factors affecting their business, why aren't they using internal prediction markets if this is the best way to aggregate information? All right, this is gonna be fun. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of speaking with with my friend, Steven Grugat. He's the founder of Manifold Markets, which has received a grant from Scott Alexander. Um, Scott has written thousands of, word about these, thousands of words about these guys, and they've raised a $2 million seed round. And um, you know, it, it's an incredibly exciting project. So um, Steven, why don't you tell us a little bit about Manifold Markets? Great, uh, thanks so much for having me on this podcast, Orkash. It's great to be on here after seeing other people like Tyler Cowen and David Deutsch I guess first thing, I'm I'm one of three co-founders of Manifold Markets, um, but what we're what we're doing is building a platform for user-created prediction markets. So the idea is that anyone can come onto our site and create a question about anything that they care about, and then they can um, have their friends and other people on our site come bet on that, and that the betting process through the magic of our like market mechanism will help uh, you know get the best and most calibrated probabilities um, that you can find. So um, let's talk about the mechanism here. So the uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea is you use real money to buy manifold dollars. What is your reason for expecting that people will care a lot about how many manifold dollars they have? Um, so what, what is your hypothesis about human nature and reputation that makes you think this is something people are going to invest mm. a lot of effort and time into calibrating? Yes. Uh, so I guess, I guess to, to take a step back for people listening to this, uh, Manifold uses a, a play money currency. Um, if you sign up right now, we'll give you a thousand manifold dollars, which is our in-platform currency uh, to, uh, for you for you to use and bet as you see fit. Um, but the the reason why we think that uh, play money can work is that pe uh, people are driven more by uh, status and competitiveness um, than greed. You know, we we kind of see ourselves as a social game where uh, people can come on to hone their skills at predicting, and then demonstrate to others that they really do know more about what they what they're talking about, and they can prove it with an um, an objective track record uh, from their betting history. Yeah, that, that that's a that's a very interesting point, which makes me wonder: Do you expect that in the future, Wall Street firms will be enticed to get the top people on the leaderboards on Manifold Markets to come work for them? One of the objections that Tyler Cowen has to um, prediction markets is, you know, I, he's kind of tongue in cheek about this, but I, th I remember at one point he uh, saying, you know, if you guys are so good at predicting stuff. You would expect all these hedge funds to be trying to constantly hire you guys. The fact that they're not makes me think that, you know, this is kind of just a hobby. This is not. Uh, so I, I'm curious about your reaction. Do, do you expect uh, people to be coveting these uh, these top predictors for their, uh, you know, for, for their prowess at uh, predicting the future? Yeah, I'm obviously very biased, but I think something like that is possible. Um, I think the we have a, a leaderboard right now. Our top predictors are actually quite good. The, the person who who's uh, currently occupying the top slot uh, won big on the Russian in uh, on one of our markets on whether Russia would invade Ukraine in February in the so in the forecasting community in general there actually is like a, as you would expect um, a fair amount of overlap between the people who you, who are using these services and financial professionals who actually do manage money or trade uh, trading as as their profession um, so I'm not don't entirely agree with the with the premise of the question or Tyler, Tyler Cowen's earlier point. 
Um, although obviously our type uh, you know, as a play money platform, we do attract a fair number of hobbyists who, despite not having a financial background, still are quite good. I do believe that there's a lot of like untapped potential um, in the in these top predictors and that sites like ours actually are able to identify them. In your experience, what has made people who are the top predictors so good at uh, so good at the art? Um, is it just their domain knowledge? Uh, you know, I, I know there's different theories about how people can get good at predicting. Um, you know, based on your experience, what kind of traits do you identify here? Mm. So, pro or probably a big one is just like experience. Um, a lot of our a lot of our top predictors have actually come from other sites um, and have spent a good deal of time thinking about forecasting and prediction in general. Probably the first hurdle that most people have to overcome in, in order to start improving as a predictor is getting used to uh, clarifying and crystallizing crystallizing your views about the world. You know, if you're thinking about some political event, you can you can uh, very easily uh, incorrectly uh, you know misremember that you got some event right or not. Um, but if you're not like actively putting out like numerical predictions and recording those to keep yourself to keep yourself honest, it's very difficult to improve. So if you you have to have that's that's a good first step, and a lot of our users already cleared that before before joining our site. You know, we, we talked about whether uh, finance firms would want to hire these predictors, but it would be incredibly exciting if we lived in a world where you know news firms would want to hire the people who are very good at predicting. Scott Alexander actually has a very interesting post where he. Um, where he where he speculates, what if you had investigative reporters who could short, like let's say they they discovered that some government has really fucked up, they could um, they could like I don't know short the market on the government's uh, GDP in a year and then uh, release the information and then benefit from ha having that uh, from their investigative journalism. I don't know if you're what your reaction is to that those kinds of ideas. Oh, oh, I think that's great. I think that's great. I think that's a very obvious case of uh, pro-social benefit of markets using using the the market mechanism to, or in some ways, is kind of like providing a public good, um, or uh, that wouldn't uh, you know uh, society otherwise wouldn't be able to produce. Getting accurate information about uh, you know corporate uh, malpractices or whatever is is very valuable to society. Anything that we can do to encourage that is good. This is the question a lot of people will be interested in, and maybe you can't comment, but is there any potential um, that eventually, uh, through crypto or offshoring or some other option, that the so somebody's ability to predict will somehow be able to get reflected back on them in some sort of monetary gain outside of the you know play money? Oh, on our, on our site? Um, I think that's, I think that's uh, well, first of all, we're, we are planning to do things like uh, host tournaments with real cash prizes. You know, that's something that we are able to offer despite being a play money product. Uh, you know, we originally started as a crypto, a crypto idea before uh, pivoting, pivoting back to Web2. You know, that's funny. We're, we're one of the first firms to pivot from Web3 back to Web2 for like usability, usability um, reasons. But, uh, you know, real money crypto, uh, uh, you know, creating a real money crypto offering is something that's on our back burner and something that's worth thinking about that we're thinking actively thinking about it would probably be in the form of a, a separate product um though rather than as an addition to our, our current offering uh, i'm curious uh, what the usability concern was there is it like connecting the metamask wallet to your account uh, your your current process is so easy you can basically make a bet within uh you know 30 minutes or 30 seconds of visiting the site i'm curious what the concern was there with crypto um, I think there there are several things. The first is just like onboarding. You know, most you know only a tiny chunk of uh, you know the global population actually has 
you know, created a MetaMask wallet or a Solana wallet or, or any of these things. And the process of doing that and transferring tokens to the wallet is actually pretty cumbersome and not yet very easy. So that's kind of a huge hurdle just to start with. Then you have to add in all of the other uh, frictions associated with being a crypto platform. It takes a while for transactions uh, to be confirmed. Um, you have to, you know, if you're doing everything in a purely decentralized way, you ha will have to sign each transaction with your wallet, stuff like that. Uh, each of those things is just like an additional hurdle, you know, that will prevent prevent users from, you know, being able to bet and enjoy their experience on the platform. Yeah, not to mention transaction costs, which would uh, reduce liquidity. Yeah, yeah, right? no, that's that's a big one too. Um, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things, uh, speaking of reputation, one of the things that seems interesting to me, my prediction over the long term is that the reputation of the market maker or market creator rather will matter a lot because in your website, they're the ones who get to resolve uh, questions um, or I mean, you know, resolve markets. Uh, so what is equilibrium there? Because is it just that there's going to be a few trusted uh, market creators uh, who people trust to adjud adjudicate? Uh, adjudicate what happened, or you know, will anybody be able to have a, create a big trusted market? I think it'll be kind of a, a bimodal distribution. Well, you'll see a few huge market creators that are high trust and have um, you know huge volumes across uh, a lot of their markets, and then there'll be a very long tail of smaller individuals with less of a track record, and their markets will be participated on by people you know, closer to them on the social graph, their friends or friends of friends and stuff, stuff like that. Now, here's a question I've had for a while. Why don't companies who have, uh, you know, a direct incentive to get the best possible information on their, uh, you know, on, on, on themselves, on the factors affecting their business, why aren't they using internal prediction markets if this is the best way to aggregate information? Yeah, this, this is a great question. Um, so uh, first of all, a lot of companies have uh, have tried using prediction markets internally, including Google, GM, um, uh, the CIA, um, and a, a bunch of other firms as well. But for the most part, you find that um, they they will use it. People will talk about it for a bit. Um, they will even praise the benefits of prediction markets, but ultimately they'll abandon them. Um, and I I think the the main reason for that um, and the you know a very uh, Hansonian point is that. Uh, People literally don't want to know the answers to a lot of questions. So in a, in a corporate context, that mostly manifests itself in um, the, man the manager not wanting to, um, you know, the manager choosing a course or vision for their company and then not wanting to get negative feedback about that. Um, even if the feedback is mostly positive, you know, the fact or like it still can like see doubt on the part of employees. And, you know, the introduction of a prediction market by itself might just like lower lower the odds that that mission will be successful. Um, you know, even though one wouldn't think that just the addition of more information would actually change the outcome. Um, but I would say that that's the biggest point. It steps on management's toes and they don't like that. Interesting. It's almost the opposite of his point about consultants. So his point about consultants is that they basically put a pretty face from Harvard. Uh, they allow you to say, oh, this, you know, this highly credential person who talks well um, supports what I'm doing. So that's why we should go ahead and do it. Um, now, one question I've always said about this Hensonian view is, even if it's true, uh, you would expect some firms to do the painful thing or some managers to do the painful thing. Um, I mean, you're a startup founder. You know that um, many of the most successful startup founders um, will, you know, will go, go ahead and do something that is, you know, quite difficult um, that they don't want to do. And you know, we would expect over the long run 
for the market to be uh, dominated by players who have done the thing that helps their company, right? Um, out of all the thousands of companies that are out there. So why do you think in like a decade or two, all the best companies in the world will have internal prediction markets or is the force uh, from managers against us so strong that that's not going to happen? Mm, so I, I would say there are two parts. I would say the first is a, a rational concern on the part of managers to not use prediction markets because it undercuts their mission. Part of uh, It's not merely an irrational quirk uh, of human nature. Although or perhaps, perhaps it is in general, but it's not an irrational quirk of the manager's part in choosing not to use them for certain contexts. Um, the second part is they're actually, uh, I think they're the, the areas where prediction markets more clearly add value without distracting from the mission or hurting management are where they're used for, for their informational aspects or um, to do like market research. You know, questions where you need to like survey a broad survey of like what consumer behavior will be, how our competitors will behave, that sort of thing. I think that's a, a much clearer example of where prediction markets can provide value in a corporate setting, um, which, you know, um, you know, doesn't fall prey to most of these downsides. So and then the question becomes like, why why hasn't that happened yet? Um, and I would say a part of that is just like a part of that is actually just a usability um, usability concerns. It's actually very hard to create a product that's extremely simple and easy for like all of your employees to use that doesn't require too much thought, but can still yield like reasonable results. Um, and I would say part, you know, part of our goal with Manifold really is to like bring the bar down lower such that more and more people can participate in prediction markets and it'd be a, like a, a pleasant, fun and uh, easy to use experience. Yeah, yeah, that, that it definitely is. Um, you know, I was about to suggest, you know, maybe it would help Zuckerberg to know, maybe it's like subsidize a market to find out how many VR devices there will be in the world by 2030 to help make help him make his, um, you know, metaverse plans. But, maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't want to know that or maybe at least he doesn't want that publicly known. <laughs> um, uh, so, you, you know, w w one question I have is in what situations is it best to have a single person uh, compound all the uh, available knowledge, and is it in what cases is it best to kind of decentralize the decision making process by having a market? Mm. I would say that uh, in general, uh, like if you're making a decision in the real world, it's often very difficult to operationalize what the success criterion is down into one thing that the market can then measure and measure and be used to act upon definitively. Um, I, I would say so that that's kind of the biggest the biggest case for, you know, like personal discretion or like hum, uh, human involvement in decision making. So, uh, or, or in general, I think like prediction markets work best when uh, people are creating creating markets on a variety uh, uh, of metrics and then using human intuition to figure out what the best uh, course of action is to proceed. Um, using that information. I'm curious, what is your opinion about um, insider trading in Congress, for example? I know this is like a big debate. Um, do you think it serves like a useful price discovery function or too much of a hazard of adverse election? Uh, well, well, kind of a tangential point. I'm just curious about your opinion. Mm -hmm. um, I would say in general, my, my view of insider trading is, uh, right, I basically have Matt Levine's view is that it should be viewed as a like taking from shareholders rather than a like fairness or equity uh type of discussion um uh, i i do think in general like inter insider trading obviously does benefit price uh, efficiency but there there are other things that we care about we also don't want um in general our corporate shareholders to be profiting from um you know from uh, certain types of information and all those in the case of like um 
you know, con or like, uh, you know, con congressional betting or, uh, or uh, insider trading by elected representatives. I think that's uh, for the most part, not not cool. We would prefer for them to be compensated directly through salary or other things which are more open and transparent to the public rather than, you know, uh, you know, this is kind of a way of profiting or, uh, you know, or, uh, like a roundabout way of, of corruption in some sense, you know, you can make a deal with some company and then trade on that. And instead of the money never directly passes into your hands, but you're privy to this insider information. Um, and the net effect is, is uh, you know, equivalent to this practice, which we would not normally condone. Now, uh, one place where I'm skeptical of prediction markets is when we're talking about um, questions that resolve over a long period of time and which the um, which there's no good base rate for. So the market hasn't really been trained on that kind of question. One example would be what are the odds of catastrophic AI by like 2030, which I'm sure is a question on your website. And um, I I'm not sure how much credence I put into the uh, prediction on this question. Um, I, I, I mean, one, because I'm, I'm not sure why I would expect that much um, uh, good information to be aggregated here in the first place? Would it just be, uh, I mean, w what is the information they're going off of? Um, and um, and second, I guess more important is like, you know, um, why would somebody bet uh, yes, because the best case scenario, if they bet yes, is they die anyways, right? They have nothing to gain uh, if catastrophic AI happens. So um, in, in these kinds of scenarios, what, what do you think is the role of prediction markets? Do you have these kinds of concerns? Uh, what are your thoughts? Oh, I think, yeah, both of those concerns are very valid. Um, I think a part of this is just like a fundamental like human constraint is if things are very far in the future, we care about them less. Um, it doesn't really, uh, you know, that's true in prediction markets, but it's also true in every other domain as well. And every, every other forecasting tech technique as well. You know, uh, you know, the, the interest rate is a, like a fact about human nature um, or like discounting of the future is a, a, like a fundamental um, facet of human nature. Um, and you can twiddle with the mechanism here on the margins here or there, but I don't think it'll fundamentally change that. For your for your second point, though, uh, you, your other point is is very well well taken too. That you can't you can't like bet bet on an apocalypse bet bet on apocalypse. You know, you're not going to be there to to collect your winnings. Uh, the money is worth less in that universe, so you you <laughs> should rationally uh, bet against it. Actually, so Brian Kaplan and Elias Rudowski actually do have a bet on um, an AI uh, apocalypse. The bet is about whether there will be like, um, you know, catastrophic AI, I think by 2030 is the exact bet. And so the uh, Brian pays Eliezer now, and if by 2030 there hasn't been uh, catastrophic AI, then Eliezer pays Brian, you know, the, the sum that Brian paid plus more based on like the ratio of their bet, uh, <laughs> which I thought it was a which I thought was an interesting idea. It's <laughs> uh, just going off this topic a little more. You know, one of the things that Scott Alexander brought up in one of his blog posts is when you have these kinds of bets that resolve over long term. Let's, it's, it doesn't have to be as like uh, as far fetched as a, uh, you know AGI. It could just be something like who's going to be president in twenty twenty four. He pointed out that at least at the, the time that he wrote it, um, Dwayne Johnson had like a nine percent chance of being elected president, um, which seems high. Except, <laughs> why would somebody get their manifold dollars um, held up in a question that won't resolve for four years? Or, I mean two years now the ability of speculators to correct prices is diminished because they don't want their money to be held up in questions that won't resolve for a long time um how, how, how are you guys dealing with that kind of problem mm. 
I, I would say like, so in general, the best way to tackle these long-term more speculative questions is to try to break them down and address uh, the proxy variables that are most relevant um, to, you know, to predicting the, their success in the future. You know, so instead of asking like, will the AI apocalypse happen in 2030 or like in 2050, you can ask like, will OpenAI's GBT4 like exceed, you know, this number on this benchmark, et cetera. Or similarly for like The Rock, like, um, instead of asking like, will the rock be the president in like 12 years or whatever, 20, whatever, uh, you could ask like, what are his polling numbers today? Like, what are his favorability ratings? Has he in, like, will he indicate interest in running, show interest in running uh, as a politician, et cetera, et cetera. And those are much more short-term questions, which you can use to, you know, get a sense of, um, uh, you know, of the, the longer, the longer term, more speculative questions that, um, you know, that interest you. Okay, so um, you know Tyler Cowen has this other criticism of prediction markets um, that listen, these prediction markets are tied to financial markets that you actually could bet on, right? So I, I don't know if you think somebody's going to be has a higher or lower odds of being president, maybe that has effect on um, you know G GDP or something, and that has effect on you know stock prices, right? Um, and so then he says, well, if you're so good at doing, uh, so good at betting in prediction markets, why don't you just bet in the financial instrument that are linked to whatever question you're interested in? And Brian Kaplan's response to this is, um, there's so many different things that can affect any given financial instrument that it's not, it's you know, it's not easy to uh, explain. Okay, because I think a about you know, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson becoming president, I can invest in asset B. I feel like that defense of prediction markets is a criticism of your response that you just gave, where you're saying short-term prediction markets uh, can substitute for your uh, interest in long-term prediction markets. Uh, I would say yes and no. So like uh, asset, you know, asset prices of, uh, you know, of major major financial commodities and equities and other instruments, you know, are affected by way more factors than another prediction market on a more isolated question on some proxy variable that you care about. You know, the, the nice feature of prediction markets is that you really can isolate the particular risk that you care about, you know, and even if it's just discussing like one proxy variable um, that's related to the overall picture, you can still get a much better understanding of the thing that you care about by picking multiple well-targeted like proxy variables and creating markets on those rather than like oil prices, you know, which tell you many things, too many things. Okay, so lay out your vision for me of like 10, 20 years, you know, we have uh, prediction markets are not only, you know, much more liquid, more people participate in them. And it's kind of, uh, everybody kind of knows what a prediction market is. So like people understand what it means when you say, um, you know, this prediction mark, uh, you know, Biden, I guess it wouldn't be Biden then, but whoever the president is passing this bill you had, uh, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, one of the many things that would need to happen other than, you know, a constitutional change would be, um, major advances to longevity <laughs> research. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. So what, what would the world look like? Um, if people actually cared about, uh, you know, prediction markets and if it was like common knowledge, uh, what the market thought about any given situation that was happening? Well, I, I would get say, first of all, I would say that would probably be a much better world, you know, um, you know, across a wide variety of domains, I think it's, it's, it's better, better and nearly, but not all cases when people are grounded in terms of, of, of facts and like well-calibrated predictions instead of like pure speculation or like, 
you know, ideologically biased thinking. Um, but you know, more more concretely, I can imagine a world where you you know the average like news article, blog post, CNN station, if that's still around in <laughs> ten or twenty years, has like a, an embedded prediction market on whichever topic that they're discussing, and it'll just like allow people to you know immediately get a sense of what like the most grounded or like it'll it'll immediately ground the opinions that pe people are hearing in fact, um, and make it easier to have more productive conversations. Um, and ultimately allow them to better understand the world. Um, I, I, I hope that's the case. Um, you know, there's a pessimistic take that people are not consuming politics to understand what's happening um, or uh, and that they, they will almost resent you for presenting them with this kind of information. That's true. Or certainly I'm, I'm not implying that a large part or even like a majority of the consumption of political news is based on a desire for accurate information. Um, you know, I think that would be a very, very naive view of how, uh, you know, humans operate. Um, but, you, but at least a small part of that is, you know, at least some portion um, of people's desire to consume news actually is to legitimately understand the world. You know, and insofar as people are attempting to do that, you know, prediction markets uh, can can help. Uh, I, I really hope so. And I, I think that actually could be true, um, which, which is very exciting. So uh, one question I have is, these trades that people do on your uh, market, um, you know, four percent of the four percent of uh, the tr tr what is traded uh, or the traders' winnings they go to the market creator, and one percent uh, are just burned. Correct me if that's wrong, um, but th that seems like a negative sum uh, bet, uh, which means that uh, are you concerned that that would reduce liquidity because people. Uh, people have to get over a higher threshold of confidence um, before they're willing to bet on any given market. Yes, yeah, like or fee, fees impede, do impede the efficiency of the market in some sense. You know, there are people who on the margins would trade who, um, if there were no fees who don't when there are fees. Um, that, that certainly is true. Um, but part, part of the reason why we have fees is like to encourage things that we like. You know, we have a creator fee. The creator earns a commission on trades that incentivizes them uh, to create and resolve more markets. Uh, we currently have a liquidity fee as well, which feeds into the liquidity pool, which you can think of as subsidizing the entire market. I I'm curious, how what, what is your background? So, you know, one of your co-founders is your brother. Um, do you guys have some sort of financial background or mathematical background? Because, you know, I was looking at um, you know, so your, your technical documentation, and then I'm not claiming to have understood it, most of it, but I, I saw the formulas that, that, that were there. <laughs> I, I visually skimmed it. Um, and I, did you, uh, how, how are you guys able to um, get into this field? So I, I guess I, I studied computer science in school. Then I went to work for SIG or Susquehanna. It's um, an options trading firm for a little bit. Um, then I left to go work um for my friends like Robo Robo Advisor startup where I wrote their like um, you, you know their portfolio optimizing software, um, yeah. So I I have some uh, financial experience as well, and all all three of us are are technical, you know, and and um, and also have a previous background doing other entrepreneurial things as well too. So we're all we're kind of like full stack entrepreneurs, I guess you could say. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your uh, previous <laughs> entrepreneurial experience? I think uh, listeners might be interested. Sure. Um, so right before this, um, my brother and co-founder James and I were working on our um, app called Throne. 
It's a subscription group chat app for online creators. So people like you um, or like Instagram creators or DJs or anyone who's built up an audience online, um, the idea was that you know, they can set up a, a private group chat with their, their audience where they're paying a subscription fee to join. Um, and uh, basically, the, our, uh, you know, the, the, the premise of our, of our uh, you know, app is that we provide a much better chatting experience for larger groups. So it's designed, uh, designed to accommodate like the, the creator's entire audience and make that a, a seamless experience. Yeah, I have a friend who has a popular fantasy football channel, and he has, um, you know, he has a very profitable Patreon where um, basically from the, the the point of the Patreon is it'll give you the link to the invite to the Discord, uh, <laughs> which is which seems convoluted. And th this product where you're just basically combining those two services, um, that 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 seemed very useful. So what happened with that? Um, it's still going. Uh, slightly. Basically, we couldn't get the growth that we were hoping for. Um, or the the ultimate cause is it's kind of too late. Like the creator market is already saturated um, with all different sorts of tools. Most creators are already monetizing one way or another and aren't keen on moving monetizing using um, a new platform. Um, so when it comes to the manifold markets, I mean the idea for having um, prediction markets, even the idea for having prediction markets play money, I believe, has been around for a long time, right? What took so long for somebody to make a user experience that was so um, comfortable as yours? Or is there something else that, uh, you know, prevented somebody from making a manifold market I would say much the, earlier? Yeah, I would say the other uh, key piece of the puzzle that peop other people were missing is the idea of user-resolved markets, um, which on the surface sounds a little bit crazy, that you just allow anyone to come and create a market on any question where they are also the judge of that question and can resolve it in any way that they want. You know, that obviously opens the door to fraud and abuse and people taking advantage of the system. And the fact that there is a possibility of fraud basically has prevented other people from like even exploring this option. And um, instead, they're opting for oracles or centralized authorities deciding the outcome of all markets. But of course, that like severely limits the scalability and, and reach, uh, you know, of a prediction market platform if users can't go on and create their own thing. So it's really realizing that user resolved markets actually can work um, that led us led us down this path. You know, there is a small amount of fraud, but it's actually quite small and manageable um, if you, uh, you know, allow users to choose which markets to participate in. Um, they, for the most part, are making pretty good decisions about where where to allocate their their time and money. There's this great essay called "Unix is Worse is Better." I, I, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to look at that. The, the The basic point the author makes is, you know, if you, if you ask like, why has Unix been so successful, you know, um, you, you can say, oh, the um, some of the features and um, some of the design decisions are arbitrary. They're somewhat inoptimal in certain situations. Um, and then, um, but then you, it seems that maybe it was those bugs that actually allowed Unix to be the kind of thing that can actually run on real computers. Maybe it's not, uh, maybe it's not optimal from the, uh, the perspective of somebody who wants something super elegant and beautiful. Um, and, you know, Gurren has a really good blog post about this, uh, Bitcoin is worse is better, um, where he makes the same point about, uh, you know, Bitcoin, like some of the. I, I'm not remembering the details right now, but some of the, uh, you know, some of the actual constants involving like, you know, block size or whatever, they're pretty arbitrary. But the fact that just somebody just put the, the arbitrary numbers um, meant that innovations that could have been around um, years before in terms of cryptographic tool, tools actually got instantiated in like a, in a product like Bitcoin. 
Um, and it, it kind of seems like you're taking a similar attitude towards prediction markets, um, it, even if it's somewhat arbitrary to let users resolve markets. You know, th that that's better than having some sort of Oracle structure, which is super convoluted and hard to use and may, may sound good in theory, but is kind of impractical as something that people want to use. Yeah, I, I, that's it. That's exactly correct. Um, I think the the most important thing for, or not, or, you know, not, not just for us and not just for prediction markets, but for creating a, like a usable platform is making sure that the key mechanism is something simple and easy to understand more so than handling every possible edge case perfectly. You know, as long as it's uh, the core experience is extremely simple and easy to use and user friendly, um, you know, that that matters much more than like the 1% of cases, you know, where, you know. Uh, I'm curious if this is something you learned at your previous startup. Did you guys make this mistake and now you've learned to avoid it? Or uh, curious how you came to that realization? You know, I don't know. I don't know that I can think of a good example that's directly relevant. Although we did like simplicity of, um, uh, I guess like both the business model and our user interface for our previous chat app were big considerations. You know, the idea of having, or like a subscription model is kind of like the minimum viable um, business for like a creator to support themselves in a real way um, over time. That might be one manifestation of this principle in action, but I don't know. Okay, so one concern somebody could have about manifold markets is, um, you, you know, you said you're giving out one thousand manifold dollars. Um, somebody could, you know, just I don't, maybe even make a bot that I'm not giving anybody ideas, um, but <laughs> make a uh, just like create a thousand different accounts, make different trades on all of them, um, and or make a sequence of different trades on all of them. And in one of them, they just make you know a series of the best trades that anybody has ever made on the platform. And now they're on the top of the leaderboard. It's certainly true that if you're giving away free money, uh, you know, that's not a, you know, economically sound mechanism. Uh, we currently do do some things to prevent uh, abuse and like bot behavior. I'm not going to tell you what those things are. Um, <laughs> if we end up open sourcing our code, though, the cat will be out of the bag. You can, you know, see for yourself uh, what abuse practices we have in place. Um, I would say that we're not necessarily committed to maintaining our, you know, free giveaway or, or, or like free sign up bonus indefinitely. You know, part of that that's definitely partially a, um, you know, a growth and like just starting off thing. Um, in the beginning, most of our users are uh, have been very well behaved and haven't abused abused this system. You know, if more and more people, if Manifold becomes like a a key nexus for people trying to weigh in on the future, we may have to be more strict with our policies. It kind of reminds me of the PayPal story where they had to, they were getting like a $10, $20 bonuses for people for signing up and it basically meant they got exponential growth, but they were losing money faster. I guess in this case, you're not like losing real money, but uh, I, I don't know, maybe you're diluting uh, the diluting the reputational value that the best people in the leaderboard have, at least for now, maybe. Yeah, I would say one of the other things that we're interested in, or like the the concept of a global leaderboard becomes less important over time, the larger our site gets, you know, a lot of the markets that people bet on our personal markets or markets between friends, you know, what you as an in individual care about um, uh, in terms of, you know, ranking who the top traders or predictors are really is not all of the markets that we have on our platform, but the subset of markets that interest uh, that are of interest to you. We, we actually just removed, or like we uh, used to have this feature called communities where you could um, create a community centered around a collection of different markets and we would show 
the leaderboard just for those markets. Um, you know, and that's a way of judging, uh, you know, or it's a way of assessing the ability, the ability and skill of predictors within some particular domain that you care about rather than globally. We'll probably bring that back in some capacity in the future. Uh, can you can you give an example of that? Like I guess something like fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Football so one one thing you might care about is like who is the best? Like Russia, Ukraine. Who is like the best? Like uh, you know, you like geopolitical and war predictor. You know, and what uh, the one way to assess that would be to just be to like handpick a few markets um, about the invade about the invasion and you know the you know subsequent you know course of events during the war and then um, just see how much profit people have made within those markets. And I think that, that'll actually give you a reasonable estimate of um, you know, who, who the top predictors are there versus just like a global thing. You know, uh, for a while, one of our like top uh, markets on our site was about whether this guy uh, would allow, like whether this stray cat would uh, allow it's like this random human to pet it. You know, total, totally random stuff like that. You know, if you're if you're trying to assess who the best like geopolitical thinkers are, who the best economic thinkers are, you may not care about the stray cat. Um, but a lot of people really do care about the stray cat uh, yeah. in in other contexts. So it's a it's yeah. a, a fine balance to strike. Uh, another interesting part of your platform is so pe people can buy more play money. Um, and I guess the concern is even within these uh, even within these subdomains where people are being compared that you know the 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 actual the the actual proficiency of a person could be distorted by the fact that somebody else could just um buy more manifold dollars and um as a result may, may be able to have a higher profit i guess you can measure it maybe by um you know percentage gain on the total amount of money or something um but yeah, yeah i'm curious on your thoughts about this so in in general, I'm a you know, pretty pro-efficient markets. You know, if you think about what's happening when a whale comes in and buys up a huge amount of money and like bets it on the wrong side, what they're essentially doing is just like providing a huge subsidy and bonus to the people who are actually correct. You know, market markets are a mechanism which is like the most efficient way of solving the whale problem. If you are too much money and you are not very smart and are very confident. Um, in your views of the world, like the markets have a very fast and easy solution for you um, to solve, to, uh, you know, to obviate that problem where you will no longer have so much capital, um, you know, to, to, you know, throw about. There's a direct analogy to this, actually, as I'm sure you're aware in, uh, you know, like uh, real markets um, where like a pension fund or some other sort of big fund needs to like rebalance its books or something. So it'll it'll need to just like dump a bunch of stock and, you know, liquidity providers can make money off the big trades that the, uh, you know, that these big funds need to make. So I guess then you wouldn't be you wouldn't be interested in schemes like, I guess, quadratic um like it's some decaying um some some decaying value of the manifold dollars that you can buy in one account so like the neck the marginal um the marginal manifold dollar costs more than the one before it um you you think this would uh inhibit uh price discovery right yeah although i ha i have toyed with some other um interesting like monetary schemes in the past um so one one idea i had is uh introducing demurrage or like um basically negative interest rates on cash balances. So like you could imagine a world where, where like uh, where the your your purchasing power kind of erodes over time. You know, if you made a bunch of like really good predictions this year, 
you know, it's not necessarily the case that you should be like rewarded by, you know, having all of that cash forever. You know, maybe some portion of that uninvested, those uninvested cash balances arose by, you know, 20% a year or something like that. Um, I think it's a really cool idea in principle, but in practice, like users absolutely hate, um, you know, losing money for any reason at all. So it's kind of like a non-starter. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it's in interesting to think about. Sorry, I, I'm not sure I understood. If the re-explanation um, is unnecessary, then we could just cut it out of the final. But just for my benefit, can you can you clarify what you were? Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So so the idea is like um, uh, at certain times you'll have just like uninvested cash, you know, that's sitting in your account. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the idea is to just like charge you charge you for that. Ah. So charge uh, charge a sales tax at the rate of like twenty percent a year. But like maybe like once per, once per day at midnight, you lose, you know, whatever, whatever amount that is a small fraction, a, a small fraction of your your uninvested cash. Um, OK, so, w w you know, one thing that makes um, financial markets really efficient is you have these big firms that are putting up in large amounts of capital to recruit the top talent in the world. Um, because it's worth it for them. You know, they're, they're running like these supercomputer simulations um, and, um, you know, they, it, like it, it's expensive to do all this stuff, right? Um, yeah, but it's, you know, it's worth it if you're getting like 0.001% of a trillion dollar market. In the case where you have play money, what is the incentive for, I, I get that people who are hobbyists or um, are in other ways motivated to do this might choose to do it and like cho choose to engage in it um, themselves. What would incentivize somebody to put in the kind of effort it takes to uh, have efficient uh, financial markets and, you know, cost and time and so on? Yeah, so I would say that in general, people are willing to put a lot of time and effort um, into virtual economies, irrespective of financial gains. You know, if you look at, the, look at things like World of Warcraft or earlier like Second Life, which has like virtual real estate, people are willing to, you know, invest the equivalent of hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars uh, in, in, in this game, game world. I feel people's, you know, uh, people's ability to drill in and focus and work on things that are of interest to them, um, you know, is just like a very, very powerful force, even if it's not directly tied to a financial payout. So what is the point by which Manifold's own internal decision-making will be informed by um, prediction markets involving, I, I don't know, the firm's uh, uh, predictions about the firm? Oh, it, it is already. Um, we, you know, we actively create markets on all sorts of things which are of interest to us. You know, most so most recently we created a market on whether we would be able to complete our fundraising round by the end of April. Um, you know, that was a cool market. The market, the market believed in us for the most part. I don't think we like fell lower than like 85% somewhere around there um, for, but we, we, uh, you know, internal, we, we, we actually do in, try to dog food, dog food our markets as much as possible. We have a new market now and whether we'll be able to onboard three employees, I think before the end of June, something like that. Um, you know, that, that's a number that, that we like try to keep our uh, eye eyes on. I guess probably the first, the first big dis, uh, case where like the market actually, you know, substantively informed our our decision about how how to act as a company um, was um, an early market we created on whether whether we should try to monetize by selling the fake uh, by selling our the play money. You know, we uh, initially we weren't sure whether that would be a good thing to do at all, whether users would hate it, or it would seem scammy or whatever. 
um, but we we created a prediction uh, a prediction market on on this subject. Uh, I think free, phrased in conditional terms that if we did introduce this, would we if we introduce the feature, would we keep it for you know some period of time? Um, and the the market the market seemed to think that we would. So that actually was a, a factor which played in played into our decision. Yeah, I'm asking these questions in probably the wrong order. So this is probably one of the initial questions I should ask you. But talk me through the timeline of developing Manifold Market. So how long ago was it launched? Um, and like what, what were you, you said in the beginning, it was supposed to be um, based on crypto. When did you guys change your mind? What, what is the timeline here? Yeah, so this company began long, long ago, way back in December of 2021. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a very very new company. Um, basically, decided to ditch crypto after like a few, maybe like a week uh, a week's worth um, of you know speculation and research. Um, mo mostly because we or part of it is that we just uh, thought we could build a play money prototype very quickly and we could just like test that and see see what the experience is like and if we wanted to we could continue further on into crypto. Um, and partially is just based off, uh, uh, you know, re reading about the, you know, regulatory nightmare that is uh, prediction markets and, and crypto. <laughs> um, and partially is the, the usability concerns with crypto. Um, but basically, we, uh, we all, like, in the month of December, we came up with the original idea. Um, we applied and received uh, the ACX grant from Scott Alexander um, and... We timed it such that right right when the uh, the grant announcement came out, we had a working prototype um, of our prediction market system ready to go, and then we were able to on onboard a bunch of users from the ACX community um, immediately, which formed the the base of our platform. You know, and and since then we've been growing and you know respond you know uh, you know responding to user concerns and improving uh, improving our site to be ever more usable. I, I know you guys use something called a dynamic pair of mutual uh, betting system. I, you know, I, I looked into the paper. I, I think I understood like maybe a quarter of it. Um, so is uh, w w was it like a experience uh, of learning as you went or is this something you guys were already familiar with? No, defi definitely the former. You know, we, we had heard, uh, I had heard of Uniswap and some other mechanisms. I had heard of like Hansen's Log Market Scoring Rule and some other things, but I, I didn't actually delve into the details until quite recently. You know, originally we actually came up with the idea for um, dynamic paramutual uh, by ourselves, thinking about it from first principles. And then, then we later, like, I went back through the literature and read a bunch of papers and realized that it was called dynamic paramutual um, and found a more elegant uh, implementation um, of a dynamic paramutual system based, you know, based on a quadratic cost function um, that I hadn't considered previously. Yeah, you, you'll you'll have to talk me through it over dinner um, next time. <laughs> yeah, so you you mentioned that you are hiring. Maybe uh, maybe there are some people in my audience who might be interested. Um, so you, you want to talk about what kinds of roles you're interested in hiring for? What other kinds of things that might be uh, involved in recruiting? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we right now we're looking to onboard a few people to our team. We're looking for full stack developers. Um, who preferably have front end a lot of front end and uh, potentially React experience. We're looking for a uh, community manager. That would be someone to help us manage our Discord, help write blog posts, help with our Substack, um, help reach out to people on social media, and organize online events. You know, someone with you know a previous background in doing this at a startup would be great. But we're open to people from other backgrounds as well. 
um, and then we're um, uh, then we're looking for a head of growth or someone who has um, you know experience uh, scaling up um, scaling up an early to mid stage startup. You know we're we're looking for you know someone who you know who's who's take who's helped uh, you know take the company from you know like uh, to like one like one to ten million dollars annual recurring revenue or around like fifty thousand monthly active users something somewhere in that neighborhood. But yeah, if you if you are interested in prediction markets um, and manifold in particular, I encourage you to reach out to us. You can either email me at job or email us at jobs at manifold.markets or me personally, Stephen at manifold.markets. Excellent, excellent. Um, and any other topics involved with prediction markets or manifold that we have not discussed yet that you you would like you you know you want to touch on. I guess there. Um, one of the things that we've seen from launching this site is that users have come up with all sorts of like exotic ways to use prediction markets that we hadn't previously considered. So part part of that, or like prediction markets, obviously can be used on you know predicting the future, basic yes or no questions. But some uh, exotic things you can do are like uh, getting users to help like research topics for you. Um, of in, uh, you know, do you can create a market on phrase these types of things in a market-based way, and then people can propose certain answers, and other users can bet on them. That's an interesting feature of our site. People have hacked our platform to do things like create lotteries, um, to play games. We did manifold plays Wordle, where we created a series of prediction markets on which word we should guess next. Um, you know, people, yeah, they're, they're just like all sorts of other things, non-prediction type things you can do with a, with a, this market mechanism, which are really cool. That is an interesting idea. Um, I, I'm not sure how th th that was conducted, but like I could imagine, uh, for, you know, researchers saying, um, will my conclusion on a paper of this question be um, X or Y? And, um, and then to move the market, somebody would not only have to bet, but also like maybe put in the comment section, the data that makes them think it's X or Y, which can be the basis of the paper. Um, so you're basically getting research assistance. Um, that, yeah, that is very interesting. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, uh, re relatedly, one of the, um, the new types of markets we've introduced is the, uh, this concept of a free response market. You know, so in addition to a yes or no market where you're just betting on something will happen, we have this idea of a free response market where you ask a broad open-ended question and people can submit an answer. And when they're submitting an answer, they're also placing a bet on that answer and other users can bid, you know, bid up, um, you know, different answers um, that the, the market creator will then, will then, will then choose, you know, and that really opens up the, you know, the space of possibilities towards allowing, you know, a much wider, wider array of questions. Um, uh, Steven, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and, um, yeah, so that's manifold.markets, right? Any other places or links, uh, that people should be aware of? I think, I think that's the big one manifold.markets. Uh, <laughs> you can join right now and we'll give you a thousand manifold dollars to, uh, bet on any market you like or create your own. Excellent. Thanks so much, Steven. All right. Thank you.